0: Now a question that I have sometimes wondered has been how many of us living today, had we been living in the first century, had we been living in the times when Jesus walked the earth and the church was in its infancy and even just prior to that, would we have been receptive to the preaching of men like John the Baptist or Peter or Paul? I think probably most of us would like to say, well, absolutely. I'm receptive now. I listen to what they, they have recorded for us. I, I, I read their words and I, I understand it as truth. And so, yes, I would have been receptive to it then as well. But is it possible that the reason why it is acceptable today is because it has become more socially acceptable and if we really step back into the scenarios that that these early Christians found themselves in, uh, and and the the aura that filled uh, the the teachings that they were that they were discussing at that time, more often than not, what we see is their teaching is presented as a very offensive manner to the people around them, whereas today just the opposite it is strove and to find a way to teach in such a way that non, uh, to be non-offensive, to not bring offense to those who hear. But that's not the way the truth was originally presented. And that's not the manner of men in which originally presented the truth. And so again, I ask the question, if we had been there, if we'd been in that first century, would we have believed them? I hope that as we spend just a little bit of time considering that question this morning, uh, it will challenge our thinking along those lines as to the way we are receptive to the truth today. Imagine if we had been in the first century. Would we have listened to a man that I like to describe as the rigid recluse? Uh, Turn back, if you will, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist is a very interesting person to read about. Very peculiar person to, to grow to understand. He did his preaching in the wilderness. It wasn't in the cities, it wasn't in the synagogues, it wasn't in the the marketplaces. You had to leave to go hear him, had to go out to the wilderness to hear what John the Baptist had to say. He dressed himself in camel's hair. Verse 4, now John himself with clothes and camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. He had a diet, so, so here we have a man who, who will not, is not in town, he's not coming to where it is convenient, it is easy for him to, to be found, yet you have to go out to him, to search out him, uh, to hear his message, and when you get to him, he is not, he's not what you would say is socially acceptable in the view of how he is dressing and what he is eating, uh, eating, eating bugs and, and, and this uh, wild honey. He's not someone that you would look to and say, wow, that, that guy has everything going for him. John the Baptist, again, as I've mentioned, is a very peculiar type person. But then imagine the message that they heard when they went out and when they saw this, this sight to be seen. Verse 5, Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath of to come. So John the Baptist wasn't easily found. He was out in the wilderness. He wasn't easy to, to look at and he wasn't easy to listen to. He, he was, had a, a, even a harsh manner in which he talked to these religious people, not to the uh, what, what many would say, oh the people that needed to hear this uh, as they came to, to repent, he was say, oh, there's people that really need to hear that message, the loss of the world, the people that are, that are drunkards and are, are in the, the houses of ill repute, and they're the ones that need to hear that. And yet the, the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you? You know, I, I have some serious doubts uh, uh, about our landscape today uh, in, in a religious view. Would we have listened to them? Especially when we consider that it is common today for many to balk at the uh, at the concept of traveling any distance to study the Word of God. I was inviting a person the other day, just well, literally not far from this building at all. They're within walking distance. Would you like to come and, and to worship with us on Sunday morning? He said, "Oh, but I, it's it's hard for me to get up that early and and, and to come there." That that is a common conception. In the, in the minds of men today, in, in, the, in the realms of our world is what is convenient for me. I don't want to travel hard distance, uh, long distances. Uh, I, I don't want to make an effort to be where the saints are gathered together to study from God's word, to hear the truth. But let's consider what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. What does he say here? About those who would who would be a judgment against us, he said, the queen of the south will rise up in in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. We need to be considered about that, the the length of which we have to travel, the length of which we are willing to go, and and we're we're putting that certainly in the in the in the confines of of distance traveled, but the length of which it costs us to hear the message preached, the truth brought to us, I kind of doubt that we might be willing to go all the way out into the wilderness, away from the safety of the city, out to hear a man who's going to possibly convict us as he did the Pharisees. And also the way that we sometimes tend to judge people by the the way that they appear, the clothes that they wear, it can easily be affected by this idea of the dress for success philosophy. You need to make sure that you 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 got everything buttoned down just right and looking good, and and certainly that does work in a in a business uh, scenario. But sometimes whenever that message that we hear comes from someone that. Maybe they they don't dress the way we think that a preacher should be dressing. And when I say preacher, I'm talking about anyone that is bringing a message of truth, not just someone who stands behind a pulpit, but anyone bringing that message of truth that says something that maybe convicts us. Well, what do they know? But we need to remember that God has a perspective that goes beyond human perspective. Turn back to 1 Samuel for a moment. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we get a a wonderful view into the eyes of God and the way he searches mankind (coughs) and the way that he sees them. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and in verse 7, we see here that they they are looking for a king to be anointed. And it says there in verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, Because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. As he walked around, as Samuel saw all these men, he said, well, this one must be it. Surely this one right here must be it. Look at the the way he looks. He looks like he would be a a fine king. And we can make that same mistake today. This person, they look like they have everything going together. They look like they've got things in the right place. That person surely is going to be a good Christian. Is going to be someone worth listening to and following. And yet we see that John the Baptist, he would have probably looked the opposite of that. They would have looked at the Pharisees and said, these are the people we need to follow. John the Baptist didn't look anything like the Pharisees. Jesus makes that same point that we even talked about in class today with the widow and her two mites. He said, don't follow the Pharisees in the way that they look in the way that they act, this, this widow who is as far a contrast from the way that, especially in the view of giving, far a contrast from the Pharisees as you could get, you follow her. Or maybe another thing that we would consider uh, that makes me wonder if we would be willing to receive the message as was given by John is whether or not we are easily offended You know, so so many times you you hear people say, well, I want to go somewhere where the preaching, it it builds me up. It makes me feel good. It it gives me hope and it gives me joy. And certainly there is nothing wrong with messages that do that. I'll be honest with you. Some of my, my favorite sermons to preach are not ones that I know are going to step on toes. My favorite sermons to preach are ones that talk about the joy of heaven and the hope that we have. But Jesus demonstrated there are times that call, occasions that need strong measures. Look over at Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 23, verses 13 through 15, again to the Pharisees, listen to the way Jesus talked to them. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's some pretty offensive language. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, and therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Jesus understood, and John the Baptist understood, there is a time and there is a place for, for a negative comments to be made, to gain one to the truth, to help them to see those things of joy and of hope and of peace. So when we consider someone like John the Baptist and the way that he taught and the way that he preached, if we lived in that first century, would we be receptive To that message. So, what about another one that we might consider about? One that I like to call the homely hypocrite. Would we consider a man like Peter? Turn over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 reveals a little bit about Peter when it says in verse 13 Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. He was seen as uneducated and untrained. He was seen as one that lacked a formal uh, religious training. He wasn't one that had been studying with the scribes and the Pharisees. He was one that they looked at and said, well, what does he know? What can he possibly know? He didn't go to, the, to these schools and learn all these things. And also, when you consider his, his, his past record, look at the that some of the things that he had done, and most notably, in Matthew chapter 26, This is not the same man that denied that he even knew Jesus. In Matthew 26, verse 69, Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. In fact, if we want to consider some of the things that Peter did, even after the death of Christ, as he walked as an apostle, and as he, as he taught others and helped to, to build up churches, we see that Peter was, was directly involved with, with a huge split in one church in the first century. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2. In verse 11, Paul says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. You look at a man like this, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He hasn't been trained in any sort of way. and In fact, look at his record. He doesn't stand as the shining example of perfection. Why should I listen to him? And so that's why I say I I sometimes consider it unlikely that many would hear the teachings of Peter today especially when, when so oftentimes it is expected that someone have been formerly, formerly educated if they would like to, to stand in a role as a preacher. In some churches, in some places, a preacher is required to have had some form of degree before he can be considered acceptable. I've, I've, I've faced this exact thing myself when I've been told that I'm not qualified to preach uh, once because for, for the sole reason that all I have was I'm, I'm just a guy with a high school diploma. That makes me not qualified to be a preacher. Now, I want us to consider something about that. Certainly, to having a, an education in that way isn't wrong. But we need to consider some of the things that are said about this type of thinking. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, what is Paul talking about here to the Corinthians as they consider this, this very similar thought? He says in verse 18, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world. God has chosen excuse me, the base things of the world and the, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Paul was pointing out to them, they had, they had a, a wisdom in their eyes. We understand, we look at the, those around us that are, that are so smart, and we see what they are doing, and that is a very wise thing to do. And Paul was saying, no, the wisdom doesn't come from the learning of the world. The wisdom comes, true wisdom comes only from God. It is unlikely then, if we, if we are relying on the wisdom of the world to see anything other than foolishness whenever we see those that don't have it. But it's also unlikely if we are willing to give people another chance who have failed, maybe failed us before, and especially failed more than once. We think back to, uh, to, to Peter, how many times was he reprimanded by Jesus? How many times was he had to be put back in his place, so to speak, because he had, he had a, a, an allusion to, to what he thought he understood, to how he thought that, that things were needed to be? And if Peter had been treated like sometimes we treat brethren today, I sometimes wonder if he would have even remained an apostle. But fortunately... We see that the early church took the heart that Jesus had taught about, a heart that Jesus had taught Peter about. Look over in Matthew chapter 18. (coughs) Excuse me. Matthew chapter 18 and verses 21 and 22. Here Jesus, uh, well, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So Peter brings this question of forgiveness to them. And who better to ask that question than Peter, who would so oftentimes need that? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. He goes on to give this account, this parable of of the unforgiving servant and the need for forgiveness for those that are going to be members, are going to be uh, living in the kingdom. And he doesn't tell him 70 times 7 so that Peter can get out his, his little notepad and, oh, I'm working on that big number. Now, high school diploma doesn't help me out here, 400 and something. But I'm working on that number to, get to, 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 to know where, where I, I'm going to draw the line. I'm not going to forgive anymore. But rather he is, he is, making, he is making it abundantly clear. You forgive each and every time they come back, each and every time that they seek repentance. Look over in in Luke chapter 17 as he continues uh, this same discussion. Luke chapter 17 and verses 3 through 4. Here when Jesus warns of offenses, he says, Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you. Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Sometimes it's easy for us to not have that same heart, because that's a hard heart to have. That's a difficult thing when someone hurts us over and over again, to be forgiving of that. And yet, that's the kind of man that Peter was. One that had faults. One that was a hypocrite. One that wasn't well learned and well trained. He was a fisherman. And yet, the early church, many, many accepted, many heard his words and they responded. Would we respond to him today? There's a third man that I want us to consider, one that I want us to, to think about. We'll call him the notorious nerd. The Apostle Paul. Well, think about what is described of him in First Timothy chapter one, in verse thirteen. First Timothy one and verse thirteen says, "Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief." A blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, and he was known by many when he came in to to the church after after being converted they were terrified of him they knew his reputation his reputation had went out around him he was very notorious and also I call him a nerd now sometimes that that word gets gets a little bit confusing whenever it's used in the 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 way it's sometimes used today but so often it was used to describe someone who who didn't quite fit into socially acceptable uh, activities and the way that they behaved, someone that didn't look like everybody else and didn't act like everybody else. And certainly we can see that in Paul. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two he admits. That he was not a very good speaker. He's not the kind of person that you really want to spend a lot of time talking to and, and just, to just sit down and listen to what they have to say. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look over there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, says, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Paul was not an Apollos. We worked this out before in the, begin, in the, in the letters of, of Cor, uh, to Corinth. Paul was not the one that they would, he would come and he would speak and you'd go, wow, somebody of great power has been speaking to me. It was not his, his ability to, to put words together and, and create this, this flattering flow of, uh, of communication. And it was not in his appearance either. It was yet in the truth and the power behind those words. And so would we would we have listened to a man like Paul? If we hold a person's if we hold a person's pre-Christian life against them, then I'm convinced we would not have listened to a man like Paul. People like that, people that look at people before they come to Christ and they say, I'm not sure if that person has a clue what they're talking about. I'm not sure that person has a right to talk about the things they're talking about. A person like that doesn't understand or doesn't believe in the power of, of, of God's gospel to transform lives. The grace of God to teach us and to motivate us and to strengthen us to do amazing things like Paul did, to turn from so far from where he was headed in a direction that was pleasing to God. We remember also in 1 Corinthians 6 what he said about the people of Corinth. Now, it's easy to see how someone in that situation could certainly understand the power of God's grace and the truth of repentance. People who were involved in so many different sins, some were murderers, some were adulterers, some were homosexuals, some were liars, and yet they had all been justified, justified by the power of this gospel that was preached, the name of the Lord Jesus but what about us today? Are we guilty of, of looking at someone's past sins, someone's past life, and still viewing them in that same light? Or maybe we don't care to hear someone whose, whose presentation is, isn't just completely polished. I, I don't think that's the problem here. If it was, I think the pews would be empty to to hear a presentation that lacked polish. But many times today, sermons won't be listened to. Sermons won't be heeded a message won't be, be received simply because of who or the way in which they may have presented it. I remember a, a very good friend of mine trying out for a preaching position one time, and, and that church, a, a sound church, they said, We don't think you're ready because, because of the way you presented, the, the way you spoke, though the, the, you stuttered and, and, and you, you had some problems presenting that message. And I couldn't help but think at that time how, how disappointing. How disappointing because a congregation like that, they would have turned down a man like Paul. They would have turned down a man that did so much good all because of the way that those words came out of his mouth. Smooth words, however, are not described in scriptures as something that equates to a blessing for us. Look over in Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 verse 17 through 18 says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but, uh, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul wrote in Romans to the Romans, be careful of people who have that, that gift for gab. Be careful of people who know how to just put things together so it just flows out into your ears and maybe even tickles them a little bit. Be careful of people who are saying things the way you want them said and how you want them said because it can, not, not because speaking that way is wrong, but because it can, it can flow into your heart and it can deceive you. It can deceive the hearts of the simple. And also, if we tend to judge people by their physical appearances, maybe we look at someone and think they're not as clean and tidy as I think someone should be to be presenting the gospel message or even to be gathered together here with us to to worship God. They don't look like I think they should look. The color of their skin isn't the same as the color of my skin. This becomes a problem, and I believe it's a problem that is produced more oftentimes in smaller and in more rural and, and Key being on the rural, not necessarily on the size, areas. This can become a problem for small, for small congregations outside of the, the big city. But again, we need to remember, as we already looked at in 1 Samuel 16, God's perspective isn't on the way that that someone is is dressed, isn't on their attire, isn't on their, their cleanliness, isn't on the color of their skin or the color of their hair or the way that they speak. God's attention is on the inward man, is on the heart. Again, he said, don't look at the physical stature. He said, I don't judge the outward appearance. I look at the heart. What I'm suggesting this morning, What I'm suggesting is that how how we receive people today is a strong indication as to whether we would have received men like John and Peter and Paul and even Jesus. Would we like to think that we'd have been quick to listen? Yes. I like to think that I would have been quick to listen. I like to think that I would have believed their message right off the bat. But perhaps, perhaps we may have acted differently. Now I say that, I say that this morning, not, not to condemn any one of us. None of us lived in the first century. So I don't say that to, to shake a finger at you or me or anybody else. I say that to bring up this point, this, this one small point and then the sermon is yours. We need to appreciate. we we'll oftentimes say this in our prayers, uh, We are thankful for the culture that we live in. We're thankful for the the ability that we have to have the message preached and not have to fear persecution and things around us. But we need to really appreciate the importance that this message has for our lives and the opportunity that we have to know it, to accept it, to live it, to teach it to others. But you know, there is, there is one way that we can determine whether or not we would have obeyed them. We would have been receptive to that message in the first century today. There is one way of knowing for certain, and that is to look within ourselves and ask, have we obeyed them today? Are we listening to the words of John the Baptist? Are we listening to the words of Paul and of Peter? Are we listening to the words of Christ today in our life it may be speculation on our part to say well I think I would have believed them in the first century but what about in the 21st century what about today in our lives are we obeying them now one thing is for sure if you will not obey them today you certainly wouldn't have obeyed them then so how about you how about me All three men taught in very different ways. All three men used very different words. But all three men had one thing in common. They taught Christ. They taught the Messiah had come. He had come to save the world from sin. He had ushered in the kingdom of God. And that kingdom still stands today. That kingdom is the church. And Christ is ruling his kingdom today from the right hand of God. It is his church and it is his invitation that we, that we extend at the end of every sermon. Not our invitation that has a, a limited time frame on it. Before the song ends, the invitation is going to be taken back up. It is the invitation that we extend, that Christ extends, that calls for submission to his commands. And so my question is what are we going to do with that? Are we going to take that, that invitation? Maybe we've already accepted it. We're going to just take it and stick it in our pocket. We're going to take it into the world. We're going to offer it to others. We're going to tell the world. And we're going to be the Johns and the Peters and the Pauls and the people that need to take that message to others, to the lost. Christ wanted men to follow him in that day. And that's the message that they taught. And he wants them to follow him today. And it's the message still taught today. What will you do with that message? We want nothing more this morning than to help you with that, whether it be coming to him for the first time in obedience and in being submitting to him in baptism, or whether after walking with him for, for, for some great time or even a little time, and you realize you have, you have fallen, you have, you have not been steadfast, you have not walked in the works that he has called us to. We'd like to to repent of that, ask for his, his forgiveness, and like the accountability of the saints here to help us to grow together, to press one another on towards that goal. Whatever we can do to help in that, won't you please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.